Friends, when you open your Bibles, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Some people are looking for faults. Uh, There's a whole industry of scholars out there discrediting the Scriptures, book after book, arguing over the relative merit of the Bible. There are church denominations in Australia who have publicly said that there are bits of the Bible we can do without. And you can understand their position. Uh, There's bits of the Bible that make us feel uncomfortable. Uh, Things that are said in there about God that sometimes we wish weren't true. There's things in the Bible that God says we should think and that we should do that, well, sometimes they're awkward or inconvenient or just not the way we do things in the 21st century. But friends, as one of the people of God, what are you looking for in the Word of God? This morning we're starting this new series on the Old Testament book of Numbers and it starts with God as an army general commanding Old Testament Israel by his word and Israel is held aloft as the ideal people of God because they obey every command because in the word of God, what do we find? We find our marching orders. Now just a quick word uh, before we hook into the book of Numbers. Uh, it's a very strange book to our ears. There's so many foreign things about it. And week after week here uh, in church, we're going to be looking at several chapters. And so it will be very helpful if you read ahead. Uh, it'll be helpful to you because you'll get the most out of our Sunday teaching. It'll be helpful to the rest of us uh, because you'll be better able to encourage us. It'll be helpful to me because you'll be able to check that what I'm saying is actually what we read uh, in God's Word. Now, Numbers 1 to 10, which is the bit that we're looking at this morning, is actually the end of a very long unit in the Old Testament. Uh, So before we hook into these chapters, we need to know what's the story so far. From Exodus chapter 19 through to the end of Exodus, all of the book of Leviticus, and then through to chapter 10 of the book of Numbers, has Israel camped at Mount Sinai, having God teach them what it means to be one of his people. Uh, Hopefully you remember in the book of Exodus, God rescues uh, the nation of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, so that they'll be his people. But now they need to know, what does it mean to belong to God? And so God had them camp at Mount Sinai for more than a year to spell out for them what it meant to be the people of God. That's Exodus 19 through to Numbers chapter 10. And so when we open the book of Numbers, we're right at the end of their stay. It's almost time for this nation to move on out and take the promised land. Numbers 1 to 10 are the last instructions before they head to Canaan. And what God's teaching us as we read these chapters is how we're to make our way to the true promised land, the new creation. Now as God finishes preparing Old Testament Israel, he assembles them as his army. We're up to point two on your outline. Chapters 1 and 2 give us lots and lots of numbers about how many people there were. As Jen read, it was literally a census time for the nation of Israel. But it's not everyone that's being counted. It's only the men eligible for war that are being counted. Have a look. Chapter 1 and verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting in the desert of Sinai on the first day of the second month of the second year, After the Israelites came out of Egypt, he said, Take a census of the whole Israelite community by their clans and families, listing every man by name, one by one. 
You and Aaron are to number by their divisions all the men in Israel, 20 years old or more, who are able to serve in the army. And when we get to the end of chapter 1, which we didn't read, you might be thankful, but it's a good read, we get to the end of chapter 1, we find that there are more than 600,000 men in the army of the the nation of Israel. And in chapter 2, this army goes to boot camp. The central uh, God in chapter 2 assembles his people. He assembles his army. And the central thing about their formation was that God was at the centre. God was at the centre. Uh, one of the things that God set up for uh, Israel as they were camped at Mount Sinai was his home. Uh, he was willing, God was willing to live in this huge tent called a tabernacle or the tent of meeting. And God in the tent of meeting was to be in the middle of the Israelite camp with all the people around him. So skip across chapter 2 and verse 1. Chapter 2 and verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, The Israelites are to camp around the tent of meeting, some distance from it, each man under his standard with the banners of his family. And then as Jen read the second half, all of chapter 2 is about who is to camp on the east side of the tent of meeting and who's to camp on the south side and the north and the west side and how the Levites are to be in the middle of the camp in the tent of meeting with the, with the tent of meeting in the middle of the Levites. And, and then it goes on to instructions, who's to move out first and who's to move out second. It's one long boot camp. Their camp... Whoop, am I going backwards? There, there we go. The camp would have looked something like this, with the tent of meeting in the middle, the Levites surrounding the tent of meeting, and then the rest of the Israelites surrounding them. And what we're meant to be seeing is that God's people are an army. Their general is at the centre, leading them into battle, guaranteeing victory. The tribes are arranged in battle formation. The census that we saw, it only included men eligible for armed service. This is a nation ready to march and attack, defend and conquer. The Old Testament nation of Israel was an army under command. And through Christ Jesus, uh, we too have been enlisted into the army of the Lord. We too have been assembled and armed for battle. But where are we marching to? And who's the enemy? What are our weapons? How do we fight? What are we fighting for? Well, more of that in a little bit. For the moment, we need to see that Israel was arranged as the army of the Lord, God in their midst, ready to march to the promised land. In the news, there's always a lot of fuss about uh, George Bush whenever he goes to visit the troops in Iraq, and not just by the media, the forces themselves make a fuss because their commander-in-chief is coming. Uh, there's all sorts of protocols that need to take place. Certain things have to be arranged. Uh, the right people need to be in the right place at the right time, and it's all because their commander-in-chief is coming. Well, for Old Testament Israel, their commander-in-chief was the Lord God of heaven and earth, and he was always in their midst. And so the next eight chapters spell out the protocols of travelling with the Lord on the way to the promised land. Who needed to be where? What they were meant to do. And the first thing that we learn is that only certain people can be where God is. God's dangerous. He's holy. He can't and he won't tolerate sin. You have to be very careful with how you approach him. Let's look at an example. Israel is about to break camp and head for the promised land. They're about to move on. 
that means that the tabernacle is going to have to be packed up. And then when they reach their next base camp, base camp, it's going to have to be set up again. Now, you can't walk into the Louvre and pick up the Mona Lisa and put it in another room. How about picking up the very house of God? Well, God had appointed certain people among the Old Testament Israelites for the job, and that was the tribe of Levi, one of the 12 tribes. But not all of the Levites were allowed to touch the tabernacle. Only the priests, a very small section of the tribe of Levi, could do that. Now, the rest of the Levites, they were to help the priests, and one of the ways they did this was helping with the packing up and the carrying and the setting up of the tabernacle as they made their way to the Promised Land. Come across to chapter 4. Chapter 4. Chapter 4, God outlines for the other various uh, clans of the Levites which bits of the tabernacle they were to carry. The Kohathite clan is first because they have the scariest job to deal with. They were to carry and help transport the most holy things, the very ark of God, the table of the holy bread, the lampstands, the gold altar. These things are so closely associated with God that the Kohathites aren't allowed to touch them, but they've got to carry them. And so the priests have to put them on poles so that they didn't touch them. Have a look, chapter 4 and verse 15. Verse 15. After Aaron and his sons, that's the priests, have finished covering the holy furnishings and all the holy articles, and when the camp is ready to move, the Kohathites are to come and do the carrying. But they must not touch the holy things or they will die. The Kohathites are to carry those things that are in the tent of meeting. And look, it gets worse. They're not even allowed to see the holy things. Verse 17. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, see that the Kohathite tribal clans are not cut off from the Levites so that they may live and not die when they come near the most holy things. Do this for them. Aaron and his sons are to go into the sanctuary and assign to each man his work and what he is to carry. But the Kohathites must not go in to look at the holy things even for a moment or they will die. Having God as your general is dangerous. He's made them into his army. He's riding with them into battle. It's rare privilege, no one doubts, but it's dangerous, deadly dangerous. And we do well to remember this today. As the people of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who enjoy the complete forgiveness of sins, we need to remember that God remains dangerous. He's not our fishing buddy. The cross of Christ doesn't mean that God has suddenly become your pen pal. He remains the holy God of his people. Just ask Ananias and Sapphira from Acts chapter 5 who are struck down dead for lying to God or the people of the Corinthian church who got sick and died because they didn't love one another well. Having God dwell among us and within us by his Holy Spirit, that means we walk on holy ground all the time. And yet, Even in such danger, God is available, just like he was for Old Testament Israel. This is seen powerfully in Numbers chapter 9. Turn across there. Numbers chapter 9, where Israel celebrates the Passover for the first time since the Exodus. The Passover, remember, is that incredible festival, that celebration of God rescuing Old Testament Israel out of slavery in Egypt. This is an important national festival. It's at the heart of their identity as the people of God. If you're an Israelite, you want to be in this one. You have to be in this one. God says so. And so what if you can't join in? What if you can't join in the Passover? This is a huge deal. And Numbers chapter 9 deals with two cases of people unable to take part in the Passover. It's a disaster. 
The first case is about a person being unclean. If you are ritually unclean, you are unable, not allowed to celebrate the Passover. And so did being unclean mean you're excluded from God? God's not available to you. Well, no. Have a look. Chapter 9 and verse 6. Verse 6. But some of them could not celebrate the Passover on that day because they were ceremonially unclean on account of a dead body. So they came to Moses and Aaron that same day and said to Moses, we become unclean because of a dead body, but why should we be kept from presenting the Lord's offering with the other Israelites at the appointed time? Moses answered them, wait until I find out what the Lord commands concerning you. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites, when any of you or your descendants are unclean because of a dead body or are away on a journey, they may still celebrate the Lord's Passover. They had celebrated on the 14th day of the second month at twilight. You see, God made himself available to them. They just had to wait a month until they were clean again. God made himself available to the unclean. The second case is about those who weren't native Israelites. Because the Passover, remember, is all about God rescuing Israel out of Egypt. And so what part does a foreigner, what or an alien as is called in, in Numbers, what part do they have in the Passover? Well, God says an equal part. God's available to them as much as he is to the others. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 14. An alien living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must do so in accordance with its rules and regulations. You must have the same regulations for the alien and the native born. When my eldest brother, uh, Dave, was first married, I was still at uni and I'd come home on holidays and I can remember Dad talking to Dave on the phone and what struck me about Dad's conversations was whenever he talked to Dave, he always asked to talk to Annette. Now, Annette was grafted into our family. She was there because she'd married Dave, but Dad treated her as one of us. She was part of the family now, and not just on paper. She was one of us. She was treated the same as those who'd been in the family from the beginning. And that's just like the foreigner in Old Testament Israel, not natively among God's people, and yet God was available to them. And he's available to us. We're unclean because of sin. We aren't native people of God, and yet in Christ and his death and resurrection on our behalf, God has become ridiculously available to us. We've got our sins washed away in Christ, completely forgiven, Through Christ, we are adopted into the very family of God. In Hebrews, we read that Jesus, the Lord Jesus, he is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. Having God dwell among us and within us by his Holy Spirit through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, God has redefined his availability. What Old Testament Israel could only dare dream about is ours through Christ Jesus, our Lord. God, the general amongst his army, he's dangerous, he's available, and of course, he's in charge. Right through Numbers 1 to 10, God gives orders and Israel obeys. Over and over again we read, so the Israelites did everything the Lord commanded Moses. God's in charge. And in these chapters, Israel's obedience is also emphasised. Now, as we read our Old Testaments, we're used to hearing of of Israel's failures to obey the Lord. 
Much of the book of Numbers actually is about their offensive failures to obey the Lord. But here in Numbers 1 to 10, we have ideal Israel, Old Testament Israel as she was meant to be, doing everything the Lord commanded. The army of the Lord, soldiers under command, marching their way to the, to the, to the promised land. So come and have a look at chapter 9 and verse 17. Uh, here we're told how God ordered the Israelites to move out and set up camp as they made their way to the land. So have a listen and hear the authority of the Lord and the obedience of the Israelites. Chapter 9, verse 17. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command, they would encamp, and then at his command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning, and when it lifted in the morning, they set out. Whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. At the Lord's command, they encamped, and at the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with his command through Moses. It's hard to miss the point, isn't it? Just over and over again, when the cloud settled, they camped. When the cloud moved on, they, at the Lord's command. Old Testament Israel's way to the promised land was obedience to the word of the Lord. That's what being the people of God, the army of the Lord, is all about. Obeying the command of the Lord as they, as we make our way to the promised land. And so it shouldn't surprise us that when we come to the New Testament, God's people are still pictured as an army because we're making our way to the true promised land, the new creation. And so like Israel in the book of Numbers, we too are soldiers under command. Now the enemies we're engaged in battle with aren't flesh and blood like they were for for Israel. No, our enemy is the devil. But just like Old Testament Israel, the way we make our way to the promised land is by obedience to the command of the Lord. So turn across to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Here, Paul pictures God's people as soldiers in battle. And the battleground is us. God's leading us into the promised land, the promised inheritance of the new creation. But the devil wants to take us as casualties. He doesn't want us to reach heaven. And so he fights against us to turn us away from the Lord Jesus. So Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11. Ephesians 6 and verse 11. It's very encouraging to hear the Bibles flipping over. That's great. Verse 11, chapter 6. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now the best news about this battle is that the enemy's already defeated. The devil's a laughing stock because he'd already lost before he even started on us. In Colossians we read, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, Christ made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. See, the powers and authorities have already been humiliated and defeated 
by Christ in his death and resurrection. And yet, we're still at war. We have to take our stand against the devil's schemes, as Paul says. And so as we keep reading in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul describes the various weaponry and uniform of the Christian soldier. Uh, There's the belt of truth, the shield of faith, and not surprisingly, there's the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Ephesians 6 and verse 16. Verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. Being amongst the people of God today is to be a soldier under command, armed with the word of God. God's taking us home and we're marching our way there. It's not a meander through the forest or a trek through the bush. We're an army marching in obedience to the command of our general because by his word, he's taking us home. As I've spent time reflecting on this, uh, it's made me sit up and think about our attitude to the Bible. What mindset do I and do you come with when we open up the Word of God? What are we looking for when we open up our Bibles? Because from Numbers chapter 1 to 10, we shouldn't be looking for inspiration. We're not looking for a pick-me-up to make me feel better about myself. When we come to the Word of God, we're listening to our marching orders. The Bible's not some lifestyle book where we can pick and choose the bits we like. You don't get to choose which bits you're going to obey and which bits you're going to not to obey. You open your Bible, you'll hear the commanding voice of God. And God's Word just doesn't tell us what to do. God commands us on how to think. God tells us how to view our families and our work and our friends. He commands us in terms of our ambitions in life and how we're going to reach them. God's word arrests us as we think about what is the meaning of life. God gives orders. And it's not because he's some power-hungry dictator. It's because he cares for his people. God knows what's best. He always acts in our best interest. He only ever commands us to think and to act in ways that are good for us. He's taking us home. For example, one of the things he's already said to us today is that we approach him on his terms. He's dangerous, but God's also made clear to us that he's available. Christ died to remove our sins so that we could be the very children of God. And so God's terms are that we put our trust in Jesus to make us acceptable to him, to trust in Jesus to get us into the promised inheritance. All we need to do is put our trust in Christ because he died in our place to pay the penalty for our sin. That's God's terms. That's his command. Just trust in the finished work of Christ. And all his commands are like this. They're always good for us. So praise God for his powerful word. Brothers and sisters, the Lord compels us with many reasons as to why we should listen to him, but the reason he's giving us today is that by his word, the Lord God is leading us home, carefully directing us in a life of trust in Jesus Christ that will never end. The new creation beckons, and by his word, God's taking us home. His word, his commands, they are good, which is why church is so good. 
It's why our small group, our Bible study groups are so good. Routinely getting together with fellow soldiers to listen to the word of our commander, helping each other to listen, to tremble and to obey God's holy word. I mean, have you ever noticed that when you miss church or you skip small group, that you quickly forget the word of God? It's not that you can't remember it or you don't know the sorts of things that God says in there, but it's just that when we don't listen to the word of God regularly, we easily start living with the word of God in the backgrounds. By avoiding the word of God, we find ourselves concerned with our worries and not with the concerns of God, which is just nuts. Because God's concern is bringing his people into the glory of his new creation. That's why he gives us orders. He's carefully leading us home. So, fellow soldiers, keep coming to church, commit to a small group, band together, pick up the wounded, God's leading us home. Make sure you're listening. Make sure you're obeying. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your good word, your powerful word, your word with authority. And we pray that you would refresh us with humble hearts that tremble before your word, eager to obey, trusting in your goodness that you are taking us home and leading us and directing us by your word. So, Father, help us to feast as we open our Bibles, to be ready to listen and obey because you are our good heavenly Father, our commander, And we thank you so much that in Christ Jesus you have done everything for us to make us ready for for your new creation. So, Father, please take us home and guide us on the way as we gladly obey you. In Jesus' name, amen.